Storm Bowling Products. The Bowler's Company presents the Storm Collegiate Spotlight with Steve Klimkin and Tim Berg. Storm's Executive Director of Marketing and Above180.com's Tim Berg are going to introduce a variety of collegiate players, coaches, and key people involved in promoting the sport of bowling. Now, here's Coach K and Tim Berg. Well, as this is a Storm Collegiate Spotlight podcast, myself and co-host Steve Klempkin, we thought we'd just maybe chat amongst ourselves as it's a very busy week for college bowling and uh, and just the, with the, the sectionals and, and all the tournaments going on as everyone prepares for the big tournament in May. So, so Steve, I do want to hit, though, on your bowling at the Masters last week. And uh, let's talk about, I guess, Talk about Reno. There was a whole – everything changed at the stadium, so we'll begin kind of talking about that and your overall impressions of the the rebuild and the, the changes that were made to the uh, convention center, the stadium there in Reno. Yeah, there were some significant changes, and it really – I mean, it looked uh, it looked a lot nicer, especially in the bowlers area, than it's ever looked before. And I don't know how many times you've bowled in Reno, Tim, but I've been there – I mean, I can't even count how many dozens of times – and, you know, one of the things that used to always sort of stick out from the bowler's perspective is it would get so tight when you're walking around and through that bowler's area trying to pass, you know, going back to your triple roller and changing balls and grabbing your spare ball and uh, trying to shuffle 10 bowlers on a pair through there, you know, is always pretty challenging. So they did a really, really nice job remodeling and opening up that whole section. There were some other parts that they also made some changes to there uh, at the stadium. And some of you might remember that big elevated seating area where they had all those seats that were, uh, that would sit up really, really high. They took that area out and expanded that whole concourse area. So it, it's really cool. It's clean looking. It's a lot more uh, wide open now, a lot more kind of sort of breathing room. It feels a lot bigger and, uh, and it looks really sharp. So yeah, I think they did a, did a real nice job with that. One of the parts that was, I used to always enjoy going back to lane 81, though, and unfortunately they do not have the the bowling lane there in the back uh, where I used to used to go see Mike Jasmine all the time there for, for lessons. So unfortunately that was not part of the remodel um, and not part of the plans moving forward. So it's kind of sad to see that part gone, but uh, for the rest of it there, it was uh, it was pretty cool to pretty cool to see. And let's get into the I guess the pre bowl, not even the bowling, because this year with COVID nineteen, there were a lot of different protocols you had to follow. And can you kind of fill everyone in on on how you how your week and how that all had to go for for all the competitors out there, and then uh, and then walk us through some of that, and then even as you began your your blocks and some of the differences that were there this year as opposed to years past. Yeah, yeah, and I think that they did do a nice job kind of creating what, you know, what I would kind of call uh, like a safe and kind of comfortable environment. So, you know, it, there were some added pressure and added cost to participating in the Masters this year. And, you know, one of the things we had to do is we had to get tested uh, no more than, than five days prior to the start of the event and provide a negative result just to really get it into the building. And then once you got into the building, you had two different windows of days to, to basically check in. And once you checked in there, um, you had to provide one of the uh, saliva tests on site. And then within 24 hours or so, you got your test result. And if you got a negative test result, then you were allowed to proceed to the practice session. And um, the one thing that was kind of interesting that they did 
um, was that the the venue itself was not open uh, for just either hanging out or watching other competitors bowl or uh, stopping by to kind of scope out what the lane conditions were or chat with your ball rep maybe to talk about some advice or stuff like that. It was pretty much closed just for the participants on that squad, and they wouldn't open up until an hour before the squad. So, you know, if we bowled at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, the venue would be completely empty at 11.45, and then come 12 o'clock, all the competitors would be waiting uh, basically in the lobby area uh, or, you know, somewhere to where they would then say, okay, now you're ready to go, and then you have to uh, go get your temperature checked, uh, answer a couple of questions, and then you're allowed to go uh, into the venue and then gather your equipment and get down in the lanes. And, and that was, uh, like I say, it was just w- once you got that uh, comfortable with doing that and with the routine, which was, you know, an hour before, and then once you got done bowling, uh, you couldn't just hang out, uh, you know, work on your surfaces and ch- chit-chat with your tour reps and drill bowling balls and that kind of stuff. You, you pretty much had 30 minutes uh, to be done and out of there so they could go through and disinfect um, all of the bowlers area. Uh, but the good thing was, is that I didn't, uh, I don't think I heard of anybody on site there that, um, that had, uh, had gotten sick. I think Sean Rash had uh, withdrawn because he was concerned about it, but I, I believe he had a negative test and then uh, had decided to then bowl the U S open right after it. So yeah. And how would... I would say it was pretty successful. Yeah. How would you say, I guess, uh, the, you know, most people stay down there at the El Dorado Silver Legacy, that whole tri-chain of the, the three spots. Would you say it was kind of from your past experiences of bowling the Masters, was it the same or you saw people kind of mulling around in certain common areas, uh, at, you know, with their masks and everything if they were together? Or was it was it different this year than years past where you didn't see a lot of that kind of people just kind of hanging around in their normal groups of, you know, their, their friends out there. They have people either they're traveling with or, or people they're used to seeing on tour all the time. Yeah, I did actually stay there at the, uh, at the row at uh, silver legacy was where my room was at. And, and yeah, you're right. The people that were hanging out definitely did all have their masks. That was their, their policy there, which is fine by me. And, uh, but you did see fewer uh, groups of people, uh, even with their masks on that were just, you know, either whether it was a restaurant venue or, you know, some kind of a, a rest, you know, lounge area, uh, you know, bar, something like that. Even the casinos and gambling stuff, I'm sure was down quite a bit. There were a decent amount of bodies and people there on the weekends, a lot of visitors there. I was surprised there were um, on the weekend when we were there both before and then at the end of the tournament, Friday and Saturday night, I mean, the place was sold out. Um, but as far as the bowlers go and from what we saw for the, for the tournament, you just didn't see quite as much, uh, of the, you know, the restaurants had limited hours, um, especially during the week, there wasn't much action going on for Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, but I tell you what, Reno has definitely gotten a good, jo- they've done a good job of getting people to come there, uh, on the weekends, uh, all throughout this. And again, like I say, it just feels like they provided a, a pretty clean and safe environment to do so. Well, yeah, I would think with uh, with the daily test, if and the rapid test as well, you know, if someone, if you're even if you're not, you know, out and about in the casino area, even if you're being safe, I mean, the masks help, but they're not a hundred percent foolproof. We all, you know, that's uh, just the way way it is. They're they're helping with things, but you still could in some ways, you know, be be infected and come down positive, and then your whole bowling thing would be gone. So. 
I'm guessing a lot of the, the mindset for a lot of the guys was to take it a lot different. Now, let's get to the competition because you made um, you made the top 64, and and you can kind of tell the story from there how things went and, and what you thought of the overall shot. It was um, – challenging from what I, I watched a lot on bowl TV it was a, it looked like a very challenging shot where you were you were forced to make shots on a daily basis boy it was you're exactly spot on right there with as far as the the, the amount of challenge or you know toughness and the oil pattern um, and the ratio wise you know everybody focuses on the ratio talking about how much um, you know more or less oil there is kind of placed across the lane from side to side. Uh, you know, from the first arrow versus the second arrow versus the, you know, third through fourth. Uh, but really, I think what one of the biggest things that made the difference in this um, is they have, they have, again, put down a pattern that applies a lot of oil at the end of the oil pattern. So if you don't get your ball to start up and read the lane and slow down and, and lose some axis rotation, axis tilt, before it gets to that big amount of oil at the end of the pattern, the ball just wouldn't stop skidding basically. I mean, and that's why you saw, you know, Thomas Larson won. He wasn't using necessarily always the dullest ball, but he was able to use a reactive ball, a Zen, Global Zen, which was uh, with very little launch angle. That was one of the one things that we saw. Everybody who bowled good there, especially on the fresh, um, one of the few exceptions for people who could kind of create a little bit of angle on the lane and still bowl well was Chris Vi. And he made, ended up making the show and did, did very well. But this overall, the scoring pace, I tell you what, Tim, this, I mean, this pattern, uh, I don't know the exact uh, year, which it was, when minus 50 plus was the number to make the cut to the top 64. But it's, it's been quite a while. I know they were, they were pretty tough uh, two years ago uh, it, when it was in Las Vegas at the Gold Coast. I think the cut score was plus 65 and the lanes were, were hard as the pretty much consensus would, would tell you, like, hey, this was pretty tough. And the cut score for this tournament was, was 50 under. So if you could find some way to average 200 uh, or even, you know, 198 or so, you would, you'd be able to make the finals. And, and there were not, I mean, the, the, the ability to gather big scores were just really hard. You know, when you started out on the fresh, uh, you pretty much had to play somewhat right of 10 you know there really was not much uh, any way to kind of play inside of that and uh, traditionally the players myself you know I'm more of kind of a stroker to kind of a tweener sort of a player kind of a soft hand and just uh, you know medium rev rate at best um, I was able to use maybe a, a little stronger ball like a phase two with a weaker drilling that did, didn't flare so much on the fresh um, or else outside a fast pitch or pitch black with a, a ton of surface. And that was really the key thing. I mean, you would see the players left and right all the way across the house, no matter what their style was, you had to use a lot of surface in order to get the ball started up before it hit the end of that oil pattern. And if you could do that, then you could play, but moving across the center and moving across different pairs. And then as the lanes opened up during the five game block, you then had to, figure out when to move, how to move, change your angles, how much, and what ball changes were necessary as well. And that's really what helped, you know, make the scores, uh, the scoring pace so low is there was just such a level of challenge there. But, uh, but yeah, I tell you what, it is nice. And I, you know, just me personally, I don't ever mind when the lanes are tough. You know, that's usually, for me, that's usually a good thing because it just gets down to making your spares and really thinking through and executing each shot and repeating shots. And uh, if you got average 240, I'd, Typically, I'm not going to keep up, but if uh, 
if a you know if a 210 is a is a good you know winning kind of an average uh, i definitely felt like i had a chance and yeah i felt great there i felt like my performance was real solid qualified i think 24th or so for match play um and uh, you know beat a lot of uh, full-time competitive professional bowlers so i felt real good about that Steve, i don't think ever i've ever asked you what is it with you bowling the masters every year i mean you made the show in syracuse you know is that maybe three years back but is, is that just a tournament you always try to uh to plan a couple days off to go and bowl or is there something with that format or that uh tournament that you always make it to bowl as as best you can no, uh, you know, I think I just like the tradition of it a lot. You know, I think the Masters is, is a, a cool format, and it's one, uh, a rare one, where you're going to get to be on the same lanes at the same time as the best bowlers in the world. You know, like, say, for example, in the match play for me, I bowled against Kyle Troop, um, which he beat me um, in a head-to-head match. But I'm like, man, this guy is one of the best players on the planet right now. We know that. He just won the biggest prize ever in bowling, 250000 Um I mean, he's one of the hottest bowlers on the planet, most recognizable bowlers on the planet. And in this particular tournament where me as an amateur can, can enter a chance to compete, I get a chance to bowl against him in a head-to-head three-game match. You know? And I just think that's a cool opportunity. Um, I think, you're, you know, yes, I did make the show in 2018. The chances of that happening are, are you know, pretty slim. That's not a, you know, there's not a lot of people um, – that can can plan myself included can plan on going in there and hey i'm got a good shot of making the show it's just it's just not realistic but you know if you got a three-game match against somebody and you, you kind of want to take in the experience and just enjoy being on the lanes with the greatest bowlers you know because it could have been norm duke it could have been chris barnes it could have been uh, jason belmonte that i could have gotten matched up with a bracket and uh you know, and that's uh, that's just a cool opportunity. I think that doesn't happen um, all the time for us that don't bowl for a living. So that's what I love about it, and I think that's what keeps a a lot of other amateurs um, that do go and compete in the Masters every year that that enjoy doing that just for that chance to compete with them and on the lanes at the same time. Well, and you're both bowling obviously on the same condition, so you get to a pair where 560 might win, and then the next pair. 640 will win and then sometimes you see scores where it's 720 to 740 so it's just you're mm-hmm. each bowling on that same condition and that's uh it's sometimes nice that we know that as opposed to some of the tournaments where you're bowling match play and people are hopscotching and moving around and and you're it's just a different like you said a different environment it's almost like we just finished up with march madness where you have, you know, we had tons of crazy upsets in basketball this year, and the same thing can happen in in that tournament, you know, in, in the Masters tournament for bowling as well. Yeah, yeah, it definitely can, and there's uh, lots of upsets and crazy endings. And and for those of you that watched, um, they had a lot of a lot of fantastic coverage on Bowl TV. Uh, definitely enjoyed uh, watching and listening to that. And um, and if you saw and watched some of those matches. I mean, a lot of them came right down to the 10th and they would be won and lost on, it could be a great shot that left a ring 10 or a bad shot that tripped out the four, six, 10, you know, and there's just a lot of that kind of compelling, compelling action and stuff that happens in that format where, you know, you just don't know um, exactly what's going to happen. So, yeah, so it's cool from a, I think it's a spectator's perspective on that side, but it's also, you know, really exciting from, you know, being as a competitor and being able to bowl in that, um, and it is almost kind of like two separate tournaments. Like, yeah, there's the one tournament that gets you to the finals. And then once you make that top 64 bracket, 
then it starts all over again. And it's just a matter of who you, on the random draw, you know, who you get paired up with. And uh, like you said, you, you might lose with a 720 or you might win with a 560. You just don't know. All right. Well, regarding the uh, college side of things, we are going to get back into things as we prepare for the uh, intercollegiate team championships being held next month and in uh, Wyoming, Michigan at Spectrum uh, Entertainment Complex. So that's something that um, we, we have. It's it's uh, we have about a month to do. So we will be excited to uh, to do some shows leading up and previewing that with some of the teams that we'll be seeing and watching Bowl again on Bowl TV doing a great job. Uh, with all their collegiate coverage and everything as well. So I think, Steve, what we'll do is let's um, we'll let the chips fall where they may, and then we'll get to it and talk to some of these coaches. And even you mentioned, too, some of the players. we got player of the year uh, races going on, too, that are, that are really tight and, uh, and stuff we'll be watching and, and get some uh, more great collegiate action, collegiate players and coaches out there and, and have them join us and and share some of their experiences and and what was a very strange uh, collegiate bowling year. But I think uh, I think um, a couple weeks ago when we we had a, a coach on from Whitewater, his name's escaping me now. Was um, uh, was it Sean Sean, Wa- Sean Walkner? Yeah. yeah, when Walkner. Sean Sean yeah. just said it, a successful season was was being able to get out there and compete on the lanes, and um, and that really puts things in perspective because that's so true to see these you know these teams all get out and compete in the second half of the season and then some even in the first half of the season so i think uh i think it's a successful bowling season with with all the craziness over the past year yeah yeah and that's the one thing i think that we've heard just in in talking with the coaches and in talking uh with a few of the players you know we had some of the collegiate players that were out there um, I actually got to cross with uh, uh, last year's I think it was Player of the Year, uh, Benji uh, Martinez, uh, really strong, strong player, nice young man. And, uh, you know, these these guys were just not sure what their uh, season and future was going to look like and didn't know really up until the last minute if they were going to have a season at all and what, you know, what they were preparing for and, and what it was going to look like. And now they, they actually do have, like even like when we had talked a little bit about the way that they had changed the format for the Hoosier Classic too, you know, for just the way that they're adjusting and restructuring the tournament formats to allow for the competitions uh, to happen and breaking breaking them apart like the Hoosier, which became a four separate tournaments rather than just one humongous tournament because you can't pack all the same people in the same bowling centers at once. So, but uh, with a little bit of creativity and some compromise, I think everyone was able to come to an agreeable, you know, format and, and uh, way to conduct these tournaments still in a safe manner and get everybody out there on the lanes. And, and you're right. We've got a lot of, there's some really talented players that'll be in the running here for collegiate bowler of the year. And even though it's an abbreviated season um, with maybe the number of events that they have might not be as many of events as they would usually have. There's still some of our younger players that are just having uh, some real success on the lanes. So that's going to be exciting. And then like you had mentioned before in um, in Michigan, there in Grand Rapids, uh, there's going to be a couple of uh, uh, teams crowned uh, champions uh, for the year, for the season. So they're going to be collegiate national champions for the rest of their lives. So we'll definitely look forward to getting some of them on and uh, 
I can't wait, Tim. I think it's going to be fun, and there's a lot of a lot of great action going on right now. That's for sure, even though it is kind of some strange times. Certainly is, and all that will be coming up here in, in the next month, previewing everything regarding collegiate bowling and the intercollegiate team championships. You can catch that all on the Storm Collegiate Spotlight podcast.